maybe one day, weeks down the path or months down the path, they'll notice one small detail that they never noticed before or something that, you know, it just, they'd never thought of until they see it in a different view or different light. And then it kind of just kind of sparks that excitement again. For seeing something that they got someone to make for them and then also discovering these other things that they hadn't really seen before in that same piece of furniture. But then as the maker, it's saying, I've thought of that long before you may even notice it, you know? Hello and welcome to the Chip Away podcast. My name is Adam and I talk with passionate construction professionals and try to chip away at what it is to build, create and shape the landscape we live in. My guest for this episode is Tim Lee. Tim is the man behind the YouTube channel The Offcut. The Offcut follows Tim's journey as a self-taught woodworker. He shares his process, experiences and vision through well-crafted videos that center on the art. Speaking with Tim, I felt that woodworking found him when he wasn't looking for it and ever since he's been obsessed. Tim's a cool character and has a story that's becoming more and more prevalent, that of folks who are seeing the value in pursuing a meaningful challenge and being inspired by what others can create. Enjoy the episode. It was a really good one. Tim's got good yarns. It was cool to get to pick his brains about his process. If you haven't watched one of his videos, definitely go check it out. So here's Tim from The Offcut. All right, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, bro. I've been a, a fan of your videos for quite a long time. I'm stoked that, like we were just saying, I get to be the first person who uh, exposes your voice to the to your audience. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for letting me do that. If you could maybe just let the audience know maybe who you are and what you do, if they don't already know that, and then we'll we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I uh, appreciate it. Um, my name's Tim. Um, I'm in Auckland and I'm a furniture maker and also a, uh, I make videos about my furniture on YouTube. Indeed. Yes. And, and you go kind of by the, the channel name is the Offcut. You're also on Instagram there as well. So yep. yeah, awesome. One thing that I always like to ask people right at the start is, is kind of how you started and, and where this all, this journey began really for yourself so if you could take me back just as far back as you can think what made you start the offcut what made you kind of get into this creative zone have you always been that guy is it something you kind of force yourself into yeah let me know um so yeah i growing up i never actually i had no interest in woodworking really like i didn't pick up any tools or um play in a workshop or anything I guess Lego is part of it, I guess. I didn't I wasn't big into Lego, but I did have it growing up and playing with that. Yeah, I had I had more of a passion for music. Mm. Um in primary school and in high school, I learned guitar, played drums. So I think that's where I spent most of my my energy. That was kind of my outlet. I didn't think anything about uh making things or building things. And then Coming into university, I studied electrical engineering. So I had an engineering background and 
I worked in electrical engineering for about two years, decided it wasn't really for me. I was getting quite bored and things were getting quite stagnant with work. So I thought I'll try something different. And then I thought about going back to uni and I studied product design. That's kind of where everything took off really. At the same time, I had just kind of gotten into how-to videos on YouTube. So yeah, about the same time. And my very first project was basically screwing a piece of wood to the wall in my room so I could hang my guitars. That was the first time I had really used a drill or used any kind of tools. And throughout university, it was such a broad degree. We could kind of take it in any, any direction we wanted. And they had such a really cool workshop. They had like all the tools and it was like kind of my first experience being amongst all this equipment and seeing what people can do with it. And so I guess through uni with each project that we did, we were able to use, we used the workshop more and more. And then I was relying on the workshop for all the equipment and everything that we could make. Yeah, I guess from there, my love or my passion for uh, woodworking or furniture making just started from uni. So it was, it kind of just came on suddenly, 2012 or something. Yeah, it's when I started uni. And then along all that, I was heavily into YouTube. Like I was just watching hours and hours of YouTube, like nonstop. I would fall asleep basically listening to the sounds of like power tools and all that. It was kind of like almost like ASMR, you know, mm -hmm. like this is very, I found it quite therapeutic. And so, yeah, it was, that's kind of me getting into woodworking. Yeah. So do, do you think it was just like happenstance, like that first moment where I need a, I want to hang my guitars up on the wall and I want to make something myself to facilitate that? Do you think it was happenstance that you kind of went down that road of I'm going to use timber to do that? Um, you know, you have an engineering background, I guess, especially if you're in that product design workshop environment, there's probably a lot of different types of tools and materials that you could have used to to design whatever. What do you think um, in particular drew you to timber? I guess because it was an easy material to work with, you know, you could just go down to Mitre 10, grab a piece of wood that you like, and then get some screws. Yeah, it's hard to say when I was, because mainly from when I was watching YouTube videos, a lot of them were how to do this, how to do that, you know, starting real basic. And that just kind of piqued my interest. Yeah. Yeah. No, so no, no, no kind of special um, relationship with Timber in terms of the start. Like, yeah, this is definitely the medium that I want to work with. I mean, you're <laughs> quite, you know what I mean? Like now that you've worked with Timber for quite a while, you'll know Timber quite well. If you know what I mean? Like your relationship with that material is, is quite developed. And it is, uh, I mean, I've been working for Timber for, well, not, not that long. I mean, seven years is not that long to work with, with the one material, but it is quite forgiving and, and it's good for learning on, you know, if you're quite new to creating and crafting something, it's quite a forgiving material. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I really, I can understand the material a lot more now than when I first started, obviously, but it was just something that I could play around with, you know, like sanding it down to, 
getting it as smooth as you could um, with a block of sandpaper. And yeah, I still don't really know where it came from. Just like this, this love for woodworking, mm. just being around the workshop at uni, you know, you had all this equipment that you had access to. And then the more I used it, the more I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just, it just grew on me throughout uni. And then at the same time, just the things that I would watch on YouTube, you know, like these guys would make awesome things out of just sheets of plywood or slabs of timber. And it was just, I found it amazing. So I really wanted to kind of learn as much as I could through YouTube and then try to apply what I had learned on my own with woodworking. It sounds like you're quite a creative person in general. You know, you, you, you said you had a passion for music, obviously, the guitars is kind of what spurred you to perhaps follow one of your first how-to videos from from YouTube. So I just uh, I want to kind of ask you: Do you feel like it's more of you have that innate creativity and you weren't sure which direction it was going to head, but once you kind of hook onto a material that like timber and you find that yeah, I can work with this material. One of the great thing I, I guess about timber and even the whole how-to videos, it's nice to see to watch those and to, oh, wow, that person's made a great thing. But I'm sure you can tell me like, and perhaps people feel this way about your own videos when they watch your videos now in turn, you know, it's so cool to get some advice from someone or watch a how-to video and be able to put something together yourself and it actually works. It's fantastic, you know, that that feeling was like, wow, I did something that actually works and it looks cool and it does what it's meant to do. And you get that like, you know, um, tangible. Yeah, you see the end product. Yes. And you're just so satisfied that, you know, that was something that you started and finished and you've Mm. created something out out of nothing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I guess I'd always been creative um, growing up, like with music and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as as like a career or like work, I had always been focused about, you know, the academic side of education. I didn't really take art or, or, you know, hard materials at high school. I guess I was pushed more towards the academic side. So I never really thought that it could go much further than, than just the passion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like same with music. Um, Mm -hmm. So music was just like an outlet. And then I guess when I picked up, you know tools for the first time that became my new outlet sure yeah so can you kind of recall the point where you thought this in particular woodworking is something that now i want to take seriously and 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 put my energy towards in terms of this could be a career or yeah this is this is me this is what i'm going to be doing yeah i'd say at uni we had in our final year of uni um our last project it was a pretty big project we could basically pick any project that we wanted to do and i wanted to i was kind of torn between doing like a pretty more of a technical project more engineering just from my background but then i thought you know i'm really into woodworking now and i want to see if i can make something take the whole everything that i've learned through uni and apply that to furniture making or woodworking you know like you could apply all of that to something else whether it be like an app app design or sports equipment or any kind of platform any kind of medium um so i thought i'll try and challenge myself and 
do it through furniture, which was still new to me, but I just wanted to see how well I would do it and how far I could go with it. So how did you go? What did you make? I'm, I'm curious to know. Oh, so I made a, it was basically a, a coffee table. It was, it was inspired from Japanese furniture and how the way the Japanese people live in such small confined spaces, yet their lifestyles are very, very minimal, you know, like everything has a purpose in their home and everything works. It's very functional. So I wanted to make a piece of furniture, which was conscious about the space that it was in, but also look good and function as best as it could. Mm -hmm. So it was a very simple, very simple shape. It was three pieces of uh, bamboo ply laminated together. So it was quite thick looking and it just had just like a sloped side with a flat top. So it was quite minimal and I wanted it to be as functional as possible. So I thought maybe people could use it as a desk as well as a coffee table. And then maybe it could have extra storage on it. So I wanted to have a fold up shelf, which would add another level to a piece of furniture. But when it's not in use, you can fold it down and it would just become like a plain, simple, solid piece of furniture. Mm -hmm. So that was quite tricky for me to kind of figure out how I was going to do that because I had this shape in my mind that I really liked and I didn't want to, I didn't want to affect it in any way by creating another function. I wanted to keep the form as simple as I could, but adding as much function as I, as I could. So I had to kind of think about other materials. Um, I really liked the the look and feel of the bamboo. So I wanted to stick with that as the main material, but the only way to get uh, these extra functions out of it by having a shelf that kind of folded up out of nothing, I had to use flatter material. So I went with sheet metal and got that powder coated. And I used a lot of CAD from um, what I'd learned through uni. And then also with my electrical engineering, just the way you could, work sheet metal i guess so how you could fold it up to create um i created a hinge out of the sheet metal so that it lies flat where it needs to be but then it also comes up on itself without creating more mass or more thickness Hmm. and so that was a real real problem for me to figure out for for that constraint or for my project and it was cool having to find the right people who could do that for me so i had to find a guy who would laser cut the the sheet metal and then it was hard for me to find someone who would actually bend it in the way it needed to be bent because it was quite everyone's using the big machinery now to do you know fast metal work and more of a production side of things and there weren't many well i looked around as much as i could and luckily I was able to find one guy who was still doing a lot of metal work by hand. And so, you know, with a box of beers, he was happy to help me out. And basically I spent a few hours with him, just watching him work with his tools and then just being able to work off a drawing that I'd given him. And he was just able to make that, you know, he just looked at it and it's like, oh yeah, I know what to do. And then he just went and did it. And so that was really cool to watch as well. So it was part of the whole experience of, seeing other makers 
work together you know like if you have a drawing or you have a design in mind but you can't do it yourself it's finding those people who can and then just appreciating their worksmanship as well yeah i like that i think it kind of takes one to know one if you know what i mean like when you see another maker you can really appreciate what they're doing for me i I love watching other people work like perhaps not necessarily people who are doing exactly what i'm doing but something a little bit different and you can you really appreciate the skill and the time that they they invest into what they're doing and like you say just to be able to see your drawing and be like yeah i can do that and away they go it's pretty cool yeah and just you know getting to know the guy who was helping me with my project he would tell me about his tools he would go over you know all the tools that he's using and then he'll show me like a hammer that he had from his, that was passed down from his granddad or something. So he's mm. kept these tools with him this whole time. And I just found that really cool. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I'm curious to know with your academic background, what kind of learner you think you are and how you applied what you learned in uni and that more technical, maybe more theoretical education and, and putting that into working with your hands and and very practical and very like tactile in terms of woodworking and how even in the early stages when you were like you say you've had no real formal training in in furniture making you kind of youtube and and uh, determination i suppose uh i just wonder how those early days were for you with with your learning style and how you adapted to better yourself in in your own path well i i definitely struggled learning engineering i went down this academic path because i thought it was the path i needed to take it wasn't necessarily for me i'm I'm, i've always been a more of a hands-on learner so i did struggle a lot with the theoretical side of engineering but you know like the things you learn through uni or through engineering it definitely can translate to what you would apply to woodworking so a lot of problem solving Hmm. yeah i guess the, the technical side of it definitely helped me with the way I would approach a project from product design and just being able to apply that, I was able to kind of break down the project in a way where I could see the issues before I would get there, if that makes sense. Sure. And so I would always think about form over function or function over form because we, we you know, we learn about all the, the design aspects of it through product design. And then just in the back of my mind, I would always have the engineering side of me thinking, how's that going to work? If it's like this, how's it going to work? If it's like that, I guess it helped me in that sense, but getting there, it was, it was a struggle for me because I wasn't as academic as I, I would like to be. Mm. I'm definitely more of a hands-on learner. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was I was kind of trying to tease that out of you because it's an interesting dilemma in terms of especially with furniture making. It's that balance between like the artistic vision and the practicality, especially when you're dealing with really like minimal structures like what you talk about with your project that you made. There's that fine balance and I'm sure that engineering background and like you say, being able to really think about a project and not just dive in there and it's like oh, i want to make the thing that looks like this it's like hang on how do i actually achieve that you know the, you have to kind of be a bit a bit realistic sometimes uh, i know i have that battles with architects all the time so right uh, right yeah yeah and i guess that's this is my way of i guess you could say being a good 
engineer because if I had, I think if I had stuck with engineering, I wouldn't have been that good. Mm. But just being able to apply that to furniture making, I think in that sense, it would make me a, a good engineer, if you mm. will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you have that uh, in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of change course here a little bit, you're a big fan of YouTube and, and maybe that and really kind of inspired you to go down this path. Did you find that it gave you the inspiration to think I can take on some of these projects and, and these kind of things are achievable for even someone who is willing to, you know, I mean, it's a big commitment to teach yourself how to do woodworking. Usually it's something that some sort of formal education is probably a good idea in that. So I'm just kind of wondering for your own journey, what inspired you to do your own YouTube channel? Yeah, so I actually started making videos of me playing drum covers on YouTube. So that's kind of where my YouTube journey started was me playing the drums alongside a song. And that was kind of more for me as a personal record of the songs that I played. And, you know, that was just through a webcam because, you know, camera quality, we didn't have access to such good cameras back then. And so you look back at it now, it just was horrible quality. You can hardly see, you know, you can hardly make up my face, but it was mainly there for my record, my personal record. I remember I made my first woodworking video and the views on that just kind of shot up. And I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. You know, I don't get that many views normally on my drum videos, but all of a sudden people are interested in, in my woodworking video. And so my first video was a homemade table saw, which I basically mounted a circular saw to a, t- a piece of plywood turned upside down and then used that as a table saw and then did a little makeshift fence. And that's kind of where everything started for the offcut when I realized that people are interested in these kind of videos, the same way that I was interested in it. You know, if I'm seeing people make something one way and then I can learn from that, maybe I can do something a different way and then other people can learn from that. So it all kind of took off from there. And yeah, I've just kind of been sticking with it because it's all, it's, you know, it's like a, it's a passion for me being able to produce these kind of videos because I guess YouTube has been such a big part of my learning and how I got to where I am now. So yeah, it's, it's always been me being able to share my idea, not necessarily showing people how something's done. It's just a way of showing how I would do something because I've always been interested in making jigs for, for other tools. Like if it's a cross cut sled for my table saw, or a circle cutting jig for my router, you know, just things that are, that can help in the workshop, not necessarily to make a piece of furniture. It's just to help you work better in the workshop. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started watching all these videos was people making jigs to make other things. So you make one thing to help yourself make something else. And, and then it just kind of grew and grew into now that I can, now that I've gone through design or like a design course, my, um, I guess my eye for detail has changed in terms of furniture making. So now I'm going to apply that to the furniture that I make and then to the videos that I make as well. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a big journey for me, but it's always been 
I've always treated it as a passion. So it's kind of like my outlet. So anytime, any chance I get or any idea that I have, I'll be like, that's, that'll make a really cool video. I want to try and film it in a cool way where, whether it's sped up. So you kind of just see a time lapse of the whole process, or if it's shot by shot, you know, it's always thinking about the project as well as what kind of, and what kind of shot are you going to get with the camera for for YouTube? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot a lot of thought goes in, in behind it, and it, it's uh, yeah, it shows from watching your videos. That's for sure. I just wonder if you have anything to say, kind of on that online, maybe construction slash joinery slash crafts community. You're obviously quite involved in it. You're a contributor to it yourself, and it's been a big part of you learning. One thing that I like about it is that you kind of said, you know, it's my way of getting my idea out there, and and I like that because, especially in our industry or in that kind of crafts environment, the more individuals and the more ideas that are out there, it's just the better everyone's going to get, and and it's fascinating to see how many different ways or different ideas people have. So. How has your be- interaction been kind of putting your ideas out there and the feedback and, and perhaps like learning from other people, just that whole community? I think it's, it's pretty cool and it must be cool to be a part of. Definitely. Um, a lot of people don't realize like how big of a woodworking community there is online. Mm-hmm. You know, when people, some of my friends, they see my channel, you know, they, they, they're really happy with what I'm doing, but at the same time, they don't see who else is doing it as well. And then I show them, you know, there's all these other makers out there doing all these really cool things as well. It's not just, you know, one of two guys doing stuff in the garage type thing. You know, guys have like, they've now made a business out of their whole YouTube channel and the whole maker movement, you know, it's, it's grown really big. And especially with woodworking, you know, if you, if you got one way to make something, there's always going to be another way to make that same thing. You know, if you're making a box, you can approach it in so many different ways. And I think that's where the YouTube community really benefits everyone because they're always, everyone's about sharing knowledge and teaching you their own process, which may not necessarily be your process, but it's, I guess it's opening up the eyes to everyone that, it can be done a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's just, it's really cool seeing everyone push each other as well. Like a lot of, I guess you would call them bigger YouTubers in the woodworking community. They all know each other. They're all good friends with each other. And they, they, they're always pushing for people to do what well, to challenge themselves to do bigger, better things. So it's been really cool being part of that. And yeah, just seeing, or hearing back from hearing from the people about my videos, you know, it's kind of reaffirming that I'm doing what I should be doing. Sure. Yeah. One thing I, I like to talk about on this podcast and I ask different people from different trades is that this online community, whether it be YouTube or Instagram or even through like forums and stuff like that, everyone's really into sharing and, and kind of putting their ideas out there. And I like that because traditionally our industry is quite almost secretive, you know, like to, to let someone know, uh, here's a fa- here's a way to do something faster is kind of almost giving money away. If you think of it in one way, right. you know, maybe back in the day it was kind of 
that's how competitive it was. But now that it's a worldwide thing, I like that we perhaps don't feel that way anymore about, you know, telling someone in the States, hey, this is how you do that. But, you know, if you know what I mean, like maybe back in the day, if you kind of gave away some of your secrets and the joinery shop down the road found out how <laughs> you were kind of doing it better, then it could be a problem. But I like that Yeah, we don't really, maybe it's a, a new generation or just the way that we think now, but everyone's really willing to share their ideas and, and you know, you don't feel offended if someone's copying you or, or you know, better still, you feel like, oh, great, I, I can help that person out. Or, or, you know, like you say, you have that relationship where you feel like you've been helped by so many people online who are willing to put their ideas and their creativity out there. You kind of feel that you should return the favor almost or, you know, kind of uh, yeah, definitely. have your own go at it, which I like. You know, everyone has something to offer and, and there's always a new way to do something so it's great you know now we've got access to so much content everything's online no matter you know what platform or what medium you do it through if it's instagram or if it's a podcast or if it's through youtube there's so much you can learn and take in that in a way you shouldn't feel like you're you're giving away all your secrets you know like one person probably learned it from someone else and then they're sharing it to all these other people. And then it just kind of, it just grows and grows. And, you know, like you said, it's how I learned. It's how I started off. And so I feel like, why should I be taking everything that I've learned off these people and keeping it to myself? Mm. And so I, with my channel particularly, you know, there's a lot of, most of the audience is from overseas. So so my videos aren't technically how-tos, you know, I don't talk in any of my videos, so I'm not really explaining the process. Mm. My approach to the videos is more about the visuals because that's how I learn is by seeing someone do something rather than someone talking over the process. So that's kind of why I make my videos the way I do. I get a lot of people asking me, you know, how did I do this one way? How did I do this? So for me to be able to reach those people as well who don't necessarily learn just by watching, but they need like more of a step-by-step, -step, you know, so I started making plans for some of my furniture so that if they want to make the piece, if they want to make my designs, then they can buy those plans and then it'll be a breakdown of every step that I took. And it's not necessarily the step that you have to take. It's just the way that I did it but explained in more of a breakdown in step-by-steps mm -hmm. so that they can, they can take in everything that I'm trying to express through the video, but don't necessarily get it just by watching it. Yeah. So I'm all about sharing the process, sharing the experience. And that's why I started uh, drawing up plans so that people can take what I've learned and then also apply it to themselves. And then if they want to make my piece of furniture or if they want a piece of furniture that I designed, but they're in, you know, they're in America or something, there's no way that I'll be able to get it over there. So I thought, why not make plans? So if they're, if they've got some skills on the tools, then they can make it themselves. Hmm. That's a great idea. What I, what I like about your videos and your approach, like you say, you don't really talk, you don't really spell things out to people. It's almost like that that golden uh, zone where it's like infotainment a little bit, you know what I mean? When you're watching the video, 
and even perhaps if someone's watching it who doesn't perhaps quite have the skills that you have i find it quite inspiring when i see videos like that because even though you could watch the, the, the slow videos when someone's really spelling it out. And even then, if you don't have those skills, you still feel quite intimidated when someone really explains all the steps you have to take, if you know what I mean. But whereas yeah. when I watch one of your videos or, you know, a video perhaps done in a similar way where there's no talking, there's just someone doing it and you get a, you get a plenty good view of what they're doing and you can fathom what they're doing. If perhaps, especially if you learn in that way, like you say, if you're a visual learner, it's inspiring because you're like, Oh, wait a minute, how did he do that? Or you can kind of say like, Oh, I can see what he's doing there. But you know, you're not kind of saying like, Oh, and this is how deep you're going to do your punch cut. And this is kind of how wide you need a router out for your magnet or whatever it might be it's like exactly um, yeah it's kind of leaving something to wet your taste buds a little bit and and saying like, oh wow i wish i want to be able to learn how to do that or so i i like that because sometimes when you go to those step-by-step videos yeah it, it kind of takes the fun out of it a little bit maybe like you said it's it's infotainment you know it's mm. entertainment first information second so it's more about it's more about enjoying the video and then you take what you, what you can from it, or you, each person may take something different from the video. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's fun to be a part of it. Like I said, I, I love watching people work, especially people who know what they're doing. And if you stage it right, it it looks great and, and it's inspiring. That's what it is because it makes you think, wow, I want to do that. Like that's, a fantastic video that they put together or they don't even think of that they just think like i want to do that (laughs) that's really all you need to know you know which is great yeah i kind of want to go from that and talking about your plans that you brought up and and the style perhaps that you were inspired by on your uni project you said at least is minimalism something that you've kind of kept throughout uh, since you started on that first product design about taking that inspiration from the way Japanese perhaps live and the way they design things. Is that something that would you say that's kind of a flavor of your own design, something that's in your mind when you're designing stuff? Yeah, I'd say to a point, you know, like there are a lot of designs out there which are very minimal, you know, they're so simple or so elegant, but in a way it's almost too minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I can appreciate the the detail and the work, but I think that's not my particular style. You know, I do take aspects from, um, I guess, Japanese design or the minimal design, but I don't want to push it too hard. I kind of just work it until I like, well, until I'm happy with, the way it looks if it's as minimal as it needs to be then i'm not going to try and take more out of it mm. you know mm. yeah to a point i'll apply that kind of design thinking but it's also about the process and how it's going to be made how quickly can you make it or what's the processes behind it things like i guess floating shelves are pretty a pretty good pretty good example it's very minimal but then there's a lot going on that you don't see which can either make it a good floating shelf or a bad floating shelf. Mm. All of these floating shelf kits that you see, they, they can be quite tricky to work with. And then over time they just end up sagging because there's not enough structure to it. Mm. 
yeah, it's always about if I if I have to think about doing a floating shelf, I have to think about how can I make it as strong as possible, but also as thin as possible, and make it as minimal as possible. But at that point, it's almost better for me to say I don't. It doesn't need to be so minimal if I can make it structurally a lot stronger by adding a little bit more detail to it. Then I would go that path. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Definitely a lot of your designs do seem minimal. And and one thing that I find about that interests me about that minimal movement, it's very popular, obviously, at the moment, especially online uh, or just in general. It's kind of a style that we are taking in the modern world. But what's interesting from a maker's standpoint is the the end product may kind of look minimal and I'm sure there are very minimal ways to make a minimal piece of furniture, but like (laughs) also to achieve that really, yeah, I'm abusing the term minimal, but to achieve (laughs) that luck, sometimes the work and the technicality that goes into making something so kind of slender and so basic is actually quite a lot. You know, it looks like, Oh, you've just slapped that one thing together and that's it. But like you say, the, what you have to do in the background to achieve that it's quite a lot of work so really the end product what you see is basic and minimal but the work in behind it is uh quite intense which i quite like i think it's quite cool yeah and by no means am i a master craftsman being able to produce these super minimal designs so i would always kind of as a balancing act with of my skill set and also the design, how far I want to take it. Um, But I never want to take it too far where it becomes to that point of it's, you know, so minimal that it's, you're becoming more niche in terms of who likes, who's into your work, your designs. Mm -hmm. I guess my designs have always focused around accessibility and appealing to more people not so much focusing on one niche or one group of people yeah Mm -hmm. and one thing i find uh not necessarily in furniture making i've had a couple of artists on the show and one in particular who really likes minimal art but he finds it really hard to do it himself because and and i kind of do this as well when i'm making something and perhaps you get it to a stage where you're like yeah this is quite interesting and uh, it's minimal and there's like a tension there that's not quite hard to you know put your finger on and um, you could leave it like that but then you know what if I put this little thing on here and what if I add that and then you can also get carried away and kind of overdo it yeah so it's quite a I find like I can never leave something alone and, and I only leave it alone when I've done too much to it. So <laughs> I always kind of go beyond the point of um, making something minimal. So I can actually appreciate people who can like step back from something and just say, yeah, that's done. Uh, whereas most people think like, oh, you haven't even started, you know, uh, in terms yeah, of the right. design, in terms of the aesthetic kind of look of the of the piece anyway. Yeah, and so. I feel like I kind of go back and forth between being I guess a designer first and a furniture maker second and then you know vice versa you know sometimes you don't need to be so design oriented into a piece that you're making sometimes you just need to be a furniture maker and make it look nice but not necessarily amazing or 
so one side, so one sided to a particular design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. I wonder what you, how you feel about the word craftsmanship. I mean, you've said it a couple of times and, and, and just what it means to you and, and your work and your, your journey really you know, going forward. You, you said when you were younger and you, f you feel like you, you took quite a um, classical academic path in, in university and it didn't really work out for you and you didn't feel like it fit. Do you think we're kind of in a little bit of a renaissance of craftsmanship or, or people feeling like, you know, all these how to videos on YouTube, it's certainly more accessible. And I just wonder, I talked to a few people about this. I kind of, beat it over the head actually about um <laughs> how we live in this quite digitized world and we're kind of um being pulled away from material and working with our hands and and creating in that sort of way and having that tactile response to something that we can do like i say you you hang your guitars up on the wall and it feels great because you did all of that and a lot of people don't get to experience that and i feel like kind of as humans that's something that we are slipping away from and that's something that gives i know it gives me a lot of joy being able to make something and you know that's my favorite part of my job is um stepping back at the end of the day and saying hey i made that you know i did something i, I changed something in the real world that has value for myself and perhaps other people yeah i just wonder what you think about that kind of crafts movement in general and, and whether we're losing a little bit of it or it's coming back in different ways or you know i certainly think places like youtube and instagram are kind of carrying the torch if you will about that kind of world worldwide kind of globally putting it out there and 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 promoting it yeah i think there's definitely a shift from in terms of furniture from mass produced to locally made and i think people are appreciating that more now with being able to find someone who can make a cabinet or a you know, a piece of furniture that would fit nice and snug in the space that they need it to, rather than going to a big store and then just buying off the shelf with whatever dimensions they have, they just say, oh yeah, that would fit in the space. Not necessarily perfectly, but it would fit in the space. So I think people are kind of going back to that and being able to get better quality, more, I guess, better quality furniture that's fitted for their needs more and then on the other side of that is a lot of people are getting more into the diy side of it as well you know like being able to uh look up a how-to video and then being able to get the tools learn the skills do it themselves it may not be perfect but it's something that they learned you know something they did themselves and then that in itself is its own story mm -hmm. and so I guess for me, um, you know, I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like I still have a, a, a long way to go. But for me to be able to give an experience to someone who doesn't have the skill set or knowledge to do it themselves, that's kind of where I try to, I guess that's what my thoughts towards craftsmanship is being able to give someone the experience of a nicely made piece of furniture, something that they couldn't find, something that they couldn't make themselves, but they were able to find someone like me to make it for them. And then it kind of tells, also tells the story of 
the whole process. Like if someone needed something a certain size or a certain color, but they couldn't find it anywhere, they weren't able to make it themselves. But somehow they end up finding me or someone else who can make it for them. And then having that person go through all the detail and make it as best as they could to deliver to that person. If it's something that they don't really, if it's a piece of furniture that they see every day, then, and they appreciate it as a whole unit, but then maybe one day, weeks down the path or months down the path, they'll notice one small detail that they never noticed before or something that, you know, it just, they'd never thought of until they see it in a different view or different light. And then it kind of just kind of sparks that excitement again. For seeing something that they got someone to make for them and then also discovering these other things that they hadn't really seen before in that same piece of furniture. But then as the maker, it's saying, I've thought of that long before you may even notice it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think good design or good craftsmanship comes in play. It's easy to notice bad design when things don't line up. You know, why isn't that panel in line with that panel? Or why doesn't the grain match across these two different um, sides? You know, it stands out a lot more. And so I think it's easy to nitpick bad design, but when you have something that's made well or good design, that's when you don't notice it as much because it's, it's doing what it should do. Mm. It's serving its purpose properly, which I guess is uh, contradicting of contradicting to good design. You know, you want it to stand out. You want it to be appreciated, but yeah. I I hope that, I hope that what you're saying is is right and that people are kind of moving back towards that because I feel we live in a world where our relationship, you know, I'm just speaking of furniture here is kind of almost non-existent. Like do you, I, I don't feel like the average person really looks at piece of furniture and, and, um, and thinks about that's something that I should invest in someone like yourself to, to help me plan out or to, to, or to find source someone to make something, you know, locally, like you say, uh, I think, I feel like a lot of people are happy just to go to, you know, wherever and get that flat pack piece of furniture and, and just grab something. And I don't know if that's just cause we, we don't have that appreciation for the maker anymore. You know, not that, not saying that no one actually made that piece of furniture that they go and get that flat pack piece of furniture or, or designed it. But it's, it's a shame I feel because I, I, I love the story that you're telling and I, and I hope that more people are moving towards that direction and i think they are but you know for most people the idea of of doing that is just like i don't know if that's really in their head you know or even people who who want a house built it's like just as long as it looks nice then that's fine like you know as long as my friends think i'm cool that i have this nice house then that's good (laughs) enough for me you know like i don't really they don't really they don't really care or they don't really have that aesthetic or that relationship with with furniture is what I would say with beauty or with that functionality or with it fitting, you know, like you say, especially for furniture, that relationship I feel should be a lot closer with, with someone. If that thing's 
in your house and you're you're using it or you're around it every day like maybe especially in our modern world something like a desk or a coffee table we're we're actually a lot closer to those objects and those creations as we think we are but maybe it's something that we just don't pay any mind to which is a shame because i i, I like what you say we're we're we should have a closer relationship with, with those sorts of things. I think maybe that's because I'm a, ma- a maker and I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess it is. I'm a bit biased as well because I have such a personal attachment to furniture, you know, like everywhere you'd go like restaurants or whatever. The first thing I would see is the furniture. I would look at it and be like, how is that made? You know, what material is it made out of? Is it solid wood? Is it veneered MDF? Um, what's the what's the construction like? How is it put together? And I think you know people are they just kind of need to be more exposed to that side of it of the whole custom or handmade side of furniture rather than the stuff you buy at you know Kmart or the warehouse type of thing mm-hmm. like it does it serves its purpose in terms that it's a piece of furniture um and it's cheap so it's very accessible but i guess when you compare that to something else that's custom made you don't have that personal attachment to it you want to take care of it you want to make sure that you know it's on display i guess for other people to see as well um so i do see that a lot in some people and hopefully people go into that direction a bit more as well. Yeah. I think, I think, I think we are, and I'm sure we are like, like we've been talking about this whole time. There is a kind of, I don't know if I would call it like a revolution, but uh, there is that idea of through exposure through things like YouTube and Instagram, perhaps people were just seeing it more and, and being more exposed to the idea of, I can get someone to make something for me or I could learn to do that myself, especially with, um, I find with like the recycling or upcycling movement, you know, when, when yeah, you see all those definitely. fantastic videos about all the crazy things you can do with a palette or, you know, one kind of uh, <laughs> a cover sheet of custom wood or even like a cheap throwaway material like that, you can still be creative. And if that's not inspiring or if that can't make you look at something a little bit longer then then I don't know what can because yeah, it's fun. And, and I like, I'd like to live in a world where, people would invest more money and more time into something handmade or created like, like one of your pieces of furniture instead of being like, well, I could get Tim to make me something or I could like get this new iPhone or, you know, I don't mean <laughs> like, or the, the difference between like a flat pack and a, a nice piece of furniture. It's like, well, maybe our values are just different or, or we need to kind of yeah. shift back to that tactile. I think sustainability is, a good factor as well you know people are more conscious about what they're putting to waste not just furniture but you know a lot more things like produce uh, rubbish mm. and then you if you apply that to furniture as well or other things that you you have if it's cheap you you know it's not going to last long and then you inevitably, and then in turn, you're making more waste. So, for those who are kind of becoming more conscious about sustainability and all that, then I guess they tend towards, or they would lean towards having something that's better quality, 
um, something that will last longer as well so that their $50 coffee table um, might need to be replaced in a couple months time, you know, as soon as there's like a, a water ring around it or something, then you can't really get that out. Mm. So then if it's bothering them so much that they need a new coffee table, then they've put that whole coffee table to waste and then they have to get a new one. Whereas if you've got something, um, you know, using better materials, it's more expensive, but you know, it's going to last. And if you've got something like a watermark or a ding on your coffee table, if it's solid wood, you can re-oil it. You can sand it back, you know, you're, you're keeping it, you're conditioning it. So you're, even though it's damaged, you're able to fix it. You're, you don't have to throw it away because it's, it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's an accessible way for, for people to kind of become more open to something like that. Cause I feel a lot of what we're talking about, you almost, again, you have to kind of, it takes one to know one that you have to be a maker in order to really appreciate what other people can do and what, what that kind just to have that value yeah in terms of yeah i would i would choose to spend a little bit more money on something like that where you know someone else would just never even think of 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 doing that just it's not where they would want to put their time and energy which is yeah it's interesting um but yeah i don't want to labor that point too much i guess one thing i want to ask you kind of get on a bit of a lighter topic is just um if you could kind of walk me through your your workshop and your kind of your area where you're creating and and also your relationship with the workshop you know you, you've you've said before like when you're you're in that university workshop or when you're with your tools it's quite therapeutic and you kind of feel like you're in the zone and uh this is where i need to be perhaps you have that feeling i know i do when i'm kind of working when i'm doing stuff like that so i just want to talk about the kind of idea and the physical place of the workshop with you and kind of get a feeling of how you decided to design it and, and lay it out and, and how you feel when you step into your workshop as well. Yeah. I noticed, well, coming out of uni, we had such a cool resource at that workshop. You know, they had all the tools you needed to basically make whatever you wanted. And then once you're out of uni, you don't have access to that resource anymore. It's gone, but you still want to make something or you still want to have access to all these tools, but you, you just can't. Luckily during uni, I had turned my parents garage into my own workshop. So I could, you know, I had limited tools. I had limited space, but I was still able to make the stuff that I wanted to. And when I moved out, I moved over to, to the North shore we got our own place and they had a gut, they had a single car garage and it was small, but you know, it's still usable for a workshop. So I just played around in my head. You know, I just thought about it all the time. How am I going to lay out this workshop so that I could use every space of it because there's not much there. And if I'm doing big projects, you know, where am I going to assemble it? Where am I going to put it when I'm working on it? So I put a lot of thought into each process that I would need to go through to make a project or to make a piece of furniture. So at the front of the workshop, I've got my table saw and I've got just one big open space for um, 
storing plywood, like full-size sheets of plywood, and then also using that as like an assembly area if I'm putting cabinets together. So I just keep that space open. And then at the back, I've got my workshop on oh, my workbench, sorry. And then across that, I've got a, my miter saw and another workbench. So it looks quite simple, the layout. I've tried to keep it quite minimal so that I can have as much space as I can to work on the piece itself. But yeah, just knowing that everything is the way I wanted it to be, or it's laid out in the way that I work. It's very, you know, you're in your own space, your own, um, in your own mind. All you need to do is just work on the piece and think about the next process. So yeah, it's quite like a Zen moment for me being in the workshop, even though sometimes it's, you know, quite stressful if you're working towards a deadline or something. Um, just knowing that every tool is in the right place, the way you like it, it's, it kind of keeps you motivated or keeps you, keeps the energy up. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, I, it's, it's like the workshop is kind of almost a work in itself. I know I've spoken to the, another guy I had on the podcast, Andrew Drummond. He's a sculptor down here in Christchurch. Um, and his, his workshop is just, unreal but um i feel the same about what you've just said when you have your own space it's like an extension of yourself you know it's like oh here's my place to be creative and you don't feel intimidated everything is kind of where you need it to be and you can get that into that state of relaxation and and get your head clear and it's like this is my place i know that i can be creative here exactly yeah and and it's, I think it's important to set up a space like that if you're a maker or anyone really should have a place like that where they, you know, their space is very much them and, and therefore they can be themselves and, and do their best work in that space. I don't know if you've ever like tried to work in someone else's workshop, but it's like, it's quite intimidating. At least when I stepped into Andrew's, <laughs> yeah. wor- when I stepped into Andrew's workshop, like especially knowing the works that he's done and the kind of art and the, the detail that he's been able to create in a place like that. And then you kind of walk in there and it's like, uh, you can feel the ghosts of all those like hours (laughs) kind of spent in there tinkering away and creating things. And it's, um, it's a cool, I love workshops. I love walking into workshops. It's so cool. Cause you know, you know, you go in there and you're like, Oh wow, this, there's so many possibilities in here. Like there's so much you could do. There's so much you could create. Um, it's just like, it's exciting. It's never ending. Um, but when I, whenever I walk into someone else's workshop, especially someone who I respect or who I know is like a, a, a great craftsman, it's like, wow, it's, it's special. It's a special place. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like, you know, the workshop is an expression of that person's personality or characteristic, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was, you know, definitely worth the time to just take a step back before you do anything and then just plan it out so that you know it's going to work in the way that you want it to or the way that you work. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's, uh, I don't know It's a, if it's just a man thing, I'm sure, <laughs> whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, workshops are magic. My, my dad, yeah. actually, he's, um, he's kind of had this, like, shed complex in his house and he's, like, finally put a concrete floor in there and he's got 
he's got every kind of tool you would need and he's like kind of planning his retirement to damn near move into that workshop. And um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's in that planning stage of where he's just poured the concrete floor and all of his tools are kind of sitting in one corner and he's like thinking about where am I going to put this? And, and like you say, you know, how can I maneuver a sheet in a way that um, I can, you know, and how can I cut a really long length of timber and put this through the thicknesser and, and still have space here and there. And it's kind of that when you're planning something like that, it's like that infinite possibilities. It's quite anxiety provoking. Yeah. But then again, like <laughs> the, the opposite of that really organized workshop, perhaps like yourself, I've been into workshops where, you walk in and to you it's just a complete mess and it's a chaos but like that person knows exactly where everything is and it works perfectly for them so yeah exactly it's quite interesting like you say it's a reflection of someone's personality the the kind of workshop or the just someone's work environment in, in general i guess yeah and i am you know i am quite a messy worker um i'm sure that if i had a bigger workshop i would just have tools splayed out everywhere and mm not really know where half the things are, but because I'm in such a small space, I had to force myself to make everything tidy or make everything, um, give everything a home so that I can work as best as I can in such a small um, workspace. Mm -hmm. One one thing that I like to ask, especially kind of, I like to ask it of artists and and joiners and, and furniture makers like yourself, I think you guys are a little bit more in tune with this than perhaps um, other tradespeople or, or at least more eloquent about it. Um, and in fact, my, my podcast, I just I got reminded of it the other day is actually listed under the, like the philosophy category. So apparently that's what, oh, nice. that's what this podcast <laughs> is. That's what I chose. I, I don't remember really do it, intentionally doing that. That's kind of the only thing that I could think of that would, uh, describe the podcast I suppose but I like to ask kind of do you feel that what you do is is more than a job obviously you, you're a creative person and I just I like to know what kind of value you draw out of it outside of you know just just the aesthetic pleasure of making something nice I mean not to downplay that at all but you know you say it's quite like a zen moment when you're working and it's therapeutic um yeah, I just wonder how, what you kind of get out of what you do outside of the finished product, if you will. Yeah, I think it's like furniture, I guess, is just the end result or the product of your values and the things that you put into it. It just becomes like a, a platform for it. Mm. For me, you know, when you're working on a project, you're always thinking, even though what, even though you're working or you're on the tools or whatever, you're still thinking about the next step. And then how are you going to do that if you haven't planned it out already? And I guess that kind of applies to a lot of things just in everyday life, you know, mm. kind of just thinking about the next step or breaking it down into smaller parts to kind of tackle each piece individually. And yeah, like, because it's quite a Zen experience for me i guess it's it's given me quite like a calm demeanor i guess and i feel as a person i kind of take problems quite calmly or you know i don't kind of overwhelm myself with worry or anxiety because if it's such a huge problem you're not sure how you're gonna solve it or whatever i'll kind of just sit back and then 
think about each step that I'll need to take to get to that end product or end result, Mm. Um, which is the same thing for furniture making. You know, the end result is just a nice, hopefully a nice looking piece of furniture. But then if it's something else, a completely different problem that you need to solve, you still take the same steps towards it. Yeah, I'm not sure if that answered your question. <laughs> no, I think it does. I, I think, and what I what I hear is is something that I feel as well. And um, it's perhaps some people don't even realise it who are participating in it, but it really is about the process and how much you, people actually love the process of making and creating. Like like you say that that end result is great, but um, yeah, to quote Miley Cyrus, um, it's the climb. <laughs> um, that's kind of what it's about, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that like, especially, you know, I've, um, I've built a few quite nice houses and you get to the end and as a builder, you probably get like an afternoon of really like just standing back and being like, Oh yeah, we finished the house, like onto the next one. And, um, you know, that might've been like a year or 18 month build or something like that. And what you actually kind of miss and love is just the being there every day and the putting it together and, and the experiences that you had yeah. to solve those problems. And the, the end product is fantastic, but in our trade, unless you're doing something for yourself, it's actually kind of for someone else to enjoy, which is, which is great. Like being able to give someone something or to create someone something and then pass it on and kind of let it go. It's, it's also quite nice, but I think it, when it comes down to it, it's the process of doing it again and finding new problems to solve and doing something a different way. Uh, you kind of get obsessed with that. At least I do. So yeah, no, definitely. And I guess for, I guess the end user or the customer, what they don't see is that process. They don't see all the mistakes that you've made, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things that you've done wrong in the past that led you to take led you to go down a different path to create what you have made for them. You know, it's like learning from each mistake that you've, you've done or every, every mistake that you've made. And then you just slowly over time, you just get better and better. And, you know, I'm still making mistakes all the time. And it's just about knowing that you need to do something different for the next time you do that or do something differently to make it faster or better you know it's all of that that people don't really see but it's still part of the process that i really enjoy mm. yeah uh, and i can imagine there's a in furniture making at least there's not there's not any at least the end product from uh, average joe or even another tradesman inspecting it there's nowhere to hide for you if you know what i mean like me as a builder a lot of what we do gets hidden behind walls and no one no one sees it again it's not like um right as visual or as kind of a piece of art if you will is what uh furniture's makers create so your mistakes um yeah if you i guess that's maybe a fun or a hard part about your job is if you make like an important mistake it could ruin everything (laughs) definitely Um, yeah and that that's something that worried me a lot because I didn't go down the traditional path to become a furniture maker. You know, I don't have a qualification in joinery or, or cabinet making. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I was making furniture, I was always worried, is this the right way to make it? You know, is this the way that furniture makers would do this? 
is there a better way? Am I doing something wrong um, fundamentally? You know, mm. I was, I always had that doubt because I never learned the right way or what the right way was. It's just from what I've seen and what I've interpreted to, to be the right way for, for myself. And I guess that's the, the lucky part about, uh, about woodworking is you can do things in so many different ways to get the same result. And so I've kind of learned that just through trial and error that, you know, you can take so many approaches and still get the same result. It depends on what is the best approach for you in terms of uh, quality or time or, sure. you know, how long it takes to make. So you still feel like you're always learning as well in the process that you're doing. And, and that's kind of the path that you're on. You know, sometimes you can feel like, Oh, I've, I've mastered this particular thing now. Um, do you feel that way? Or do you always kind of embrace that forever learning attitude? I think I try to embrace the forever learning attitude, you know, like mm. every time I see a really nicely made piece of furniture, I would try to study it as much as I can. Like what techniques did they use to get um, to make it? Mm. Um, and then try to, you know, break it down and reverse engineer it. And it's always about the, the tools that you have access to as well. So I still think I've got quite limited tools in terms of um, furniture making. Like I don't have all the nice festival stuff or, you know, I don't have, I don't have the skills to do hand cut dovetails or anything, you know? So it's always about being as being the best you can at, at what you have access to. So I'm still trying to get better with, you know, my hand saws or my chisels. But then once I get onto different tools, you know, then I'm just, I have to start from the beginning and, learn and get familiar with those processes like hand cut dovetails you know something that is considered i guess your typical master craftsman type joinery and i'd love to be able to get the time and and learn all that but again it's it is the time that you have to invest into it and yeah for now it's just being able to work with what you have readily available and with the skills that you that you've already developed. Mm. I do like that about our, our trade in general and, and especially maybe you in joinery, like you say, you are always learning and it gives you, I think, especially when you're in, you don't really, I think you gain a greater respect. Like we've talked about, about makers or making something um, when you're actually in there and you've done a little bit of it yourself. And then you realize something like a hand cut dovetail joint or whatever it may be, it's just like, you know, when you're in there, you're like, goodness me, how am I ever going to learn how to do that? You know, it's quite intimidating, but it's also inspiring. It's like, wow, you gain a greater respect for your trade or what you're doing. Cause you're like, wow, there's, there's really, um, there's no cheat sheet for that. You know, there's no way to kind of, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. jump, jump there straight away. Like you have to put in the time, you have to put in the, the hours and, and learn and yeah, perhaps a nicer tool can, um, help you out but really when it comes down to it um, you know you still have to come up with the goods yourself which I, I love about our trade you know there's nowhere to hide you have to be 
a competent individual to be able to create a piece of furniture like you do. So you take away that certain sense of pride where you're like, yeah, I put in the work and I got the results. And I guess that kind of um, that feeling or that, that uh, reward that you get from that is enough to drive you on forward. So yeah, I guess um, I just, I'd like to know kind of where you see yourself moving with the off cut and, and what you're doing and what's the goals for yourself for the future moving forward. Do you, you know, is being a, a master craftsman like a goal for you? Is that something that you're like, this is really what I want. This is what I want for my life or my, my career or to take my business in that direction, whatever it may be. Uh, I don't see myself as becoming a master craftsman, you know, being able to produce beautiful handmade work. Um, I kind of see myself as just someone who's able to produce accessible furniture to people with my designs and kind of my ideas and then if people like my ideas, then that's great for, for me and for them as well. So I do, you know, I want to keep growing it and I guess become part of a, a bigger picture for locally made furniture, custom made furniture, you know, and not so much on the other end where, you know, it's all master craftsmen high-end really expensive stuff i always want i've always wanted to focus more towards the what's accessible to people you know there's a lot of designer furniture out there with the super high price tag because of the designer name behind it and you know that's kind of that's always put me off buying designer brand products because of the price tag and I don't necessarily want to be attached to that name. I kind of just want something that I, I know is of good quality of good value, but is more accessible to people. Mm. Yeah. So, and it's hard, it's quite interesting because when I was looking for, for work, you know, it's always one side or the other where people are looking for furniture makers or they're looking for designers. And I enjoy both sides of the process equally. So being able to come up with my own design and then make it as well, that's, I guess that's the end goal for me to be able to stick with that and have people appreciate that I was the person that came up with the design. I was the person that made it. And then I was the person that delivered it to your house, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's kind of the bigger picture for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the off cut, the kind of the YouTube channel would just, follow that journey or do you have any different ideas in terms of how you can will you continue to shoot videos in the way that you have do you think your audience connects well with with your kind of method or or you feel that that represents how you want to put yourself out there creatively and in, in, in the way that you're happy with i guess it kind of will 
change as as I do. Um, I've always seen it as like a almost like a DIY channel, not so much a how-to channel, but showing people that you can make these pieces of furniture out of a single car garage with, you know, not very expensive tools. You don't have to have the biggest or best equipment around to make nice looking furniture. And so I guess I will kind of grow it in whichever direction I would go towards as well. So whether it be more design focused furniture or more custom or built-in furniture, then I will try to direct my YouTube channel to those in that direction as well. Sure. Yeah. Like I see a lot of people who they commit everything into their YouTube channel as a woodworker and they're able to basically create their own brand from it because it's, it's such a strong tool for just reaching so many people, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's watching YouTube and whether it's woodworking or whether it's sports or whatever, there's always going to be such a massive audience for that. And so whether or not YouTube will help me grow as a business or whether my business will help grow my YouTube, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you touched on it a little bit there and, and I kind of want to ask you, you know, what, what would you say to someone who perhaps was like yourself, who, who used to sit there and watch all of these how-to videos or, or, or even what would you say to someone who's watching all of your videos and thinking, man, I, I wish I could do that myself. You know, I mean, that's really how it sounds like that's who you started. You just had the, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess a lot of people will go out and watch those how-to videos or be inspired by someone, but will never make that decision to commit some time into doing something. And, and um, I just want to ask you, what advice would you give to someone who perhaps wants to be more creative or wants to do, something creative like like you have and and you know look where it's kind of led you so i think it's really interesting i think it's great i think it's why your channel is so popular so i just wonder what you in turn would say to someone or or what you would say to yourself you know those years ago perhaps i think it's it's about finding the right platform for you Mm -hmm. i guess you found it through podcasting and it has to be about yourself Like you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for others. Mm -hmm. You know, the passion has to be there. I, I, I guess a lot of people, like a lot of millennials dream about becoming like YouTube stars, you know, making a living off YouTube, or I guess now it's TikTok or whatever, Mm -hmm. but the passion has to come first and not be focused on whether or not you can make money from it. If I had, if I was doing this for the money on my YouTube channel, I, I would have stopped years ago because, you know, you, you can't, you can't earn that much money from it. If, if you don't have the passion for it, people will see right through it that you're just trying to do this to make a living. So it has to be a passion, you know, and then if it's something that you want to start, you just got to start 
you know, you learn by doing it. Um, I had no idea what I was doing with, with my YouTube. I was using a small GoPro, one of the earlier versions, and the camera quality was horrible, but it's what I had. And, you know, if you're always waiting for the best opportunity or the best to get the best quality or whatever, it may never come. So, you know, you've wasted all that time waiting for the right opportunity when if you had just started and done something, at least that's, you've already got your foot in the door. And so I guess for my YouTube, it's just something that I started whenever I had free time. And if I had, you know, whatever spare money I had, I would put into more tools or better equipment like finally putting in money for a better quality camera so that I could have better videos. It's just, yeah, you just got to grow as you go. Mm. That's what I found anyway. And, you know, my, my channel hasn't grown as fast as it could have. I've seen a lot of people who started around the same time as me or even after me and they, they committed all their time into it or a lot more time than what I have. And it's shown because their channel has grown so much faster than mine. And that's awesome because they're putting, they're investing in, in themselves, you know, mm. You're, they're showing their passion for it. And yeah, that's, I think that's really cool. And hopefully that, you know, I would be able to keep putting in the time that I can into into my channel and then keep that growing. Hmm. I like that. And and I like what you say, and, and I think it's admirable almost. And it, and it speaks to the, the maker and you perhaps that I, I get a kick out of people who put their time and money and energy into um, like you say, kind of investing in themselves or investing in creative pursuits for the sake of creativity and the, the sake of enjoying that process. You know, perhaps a lot of people in our modern age think, Oh, when I have some spare cash, I'm going to buy this object because it gets me this amount of status or whatever it is where perhaps you're just thinking like, I really want that new biscuit jointer because I'll be able to make this thing out of it and that'll feel <laughs> great. You know what I mean? It's just like a different kind of person. And I, yeah, I much prefer uh, the latter is thinking about, oh, if I could only just afford this band store, I could make so much cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think it's cool. And I, and I hope that um, that kind of inspiration that you're putting out there catches on and more people are willing to invest in, in creative pursuits because, yeah, like you say, you've got a lot of value out of it and and uh, so do a lot of other people. You can You can tell by how much enjoyment those creators get out of their own videos and you know you keep on wanting to make more and more videos and, and share what you're doing because you love it and you're kind of just reinvesting in, in yourself which is it's fun it's fun to watch yeah exactly i remember um after i got my very first job at as a furniture maker i guess these these guys they were uni students and they were doing uh, a tech startup uh, called niche and they needed um, some tables and some desks made for, they had a little, I guess, student hub. And I was lucky enough to get 
their contacts and get the job. And it was a really cool experience because it was the first furniture making job I got out of uni. But after that, you know, I was able to get some money and then I was just thinking, what should I buy next to help me get better jobs or get another, the next job? And so I think the first tool that I bought from that job was the Makita track saw. Mm. And yeah, I still use it. It's one of my most used tools today. It's just, it's a great tool because my workshop's so small and I don't have the big enough equipment to cut down full sheets of plywood, you know, on a massive panel saw or whatever. Having something like the track saw, you're able to cut down full sheets of plywood accurately and efficiently and it's just yeah things like that where can you put your time and and money to help you take on the next project Mm. yeah and so I, i was pretty grateful with getting that job and i'm still pretty close with them now i've seen their their company grow a lot as well which is really cool that's cool. Yeah, I, I like that. And there's definitely a special relationship with tools. You know, it is kind of that uh, material, I suppose. Some, some, for some people, there is like a kind of status symbol that goes along with tools. But they're, they're a magical object because they, um, they have so much potential. You know, you don't buy them to put up on a shelf or just to like, uh, you know what I mean? They're, they're there to, yeah. to do a whole lot of different things with that kind of you work through them to create something and, and therefore you kind of develop quite a close relationship with your tools. And I like what you say about, you know, you don't always have to have the flashiest tools as well, um, which is good because there, there's certainly, um, at least on Instagram, there's quite a fever for, for people to like uh, be forced almost or feel pressured to buy this, you know, the latest and greatest tools, which is a shame. I think people should be more focused on, on what they can do with those tools. Yeah, but yeah, like the first, the very first drill that I bought, um, it was just a Black and Decker drill from Mitre Ten, and I loved that thing. You know, mm. I was still using it until maybe last year when it decided to finally kick the bucket, mm-hmm. and so that was a good five or six years of solid use. So, I, you know, I loved that tool. It was it was amazing, and it was mm. just a just a Black and Decker tool. So. Yeah, it's not about, I guess, the the price tag or the name behind it. It's just how well it works for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can do yeah, you can develop some some pretty cool relationships with your tools. Yeah, I, I always I'm quite attached to my like Ryobi drop saw. I got it on a, my boss bought it for a job we were doing. This was years ago. We were doing. Um, linear weatherboards so he wanted to buy like a crappy drop saw and if it died cutting the linear because it really stuffs up the gears and the motors and um the fiber cement doesn't go too well with um drop saws he was like well if it dies it doesn't matter i haven't killed my flash dewalt drop saw and and right. i said to him i was like hey so if that ryobi drop saw like survives this job can i keep it afterwards he's like yeah sure <laughs> so so i got a oh, free nice. drop saw out of it when i was at a friend's and i thought it was awesome um <laughs> and you know like after that i i just kind of i love that saw because it just never died and you know i use it to like trim out you know 
uh, architraves and data rails and picture frame rails and you know all sorts of wainscoting and like multi-million dollar houses and I did an awesome job with it and you know it's uh, at the end of the day it's a tool and it kind of um I don't know. I, I always like that story because you feel like, hey, you know, yeah, you've got your your flash kit, but you still have to put in the work uh, to to yeah. develop the skills yeah. to be able to use it. And yeah, like I, I feel sorry for anyone who touches that drop saw because it's like very um, <laughs> it, it doesn't cut square, and you have to know exactly where to set it, and you have to, you know, it's you yeah. you have to have that relationship with it. <laughs> yeah, you got to know it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which way to go? Which way to tweak it to get it to cut properly? That's it. Yeah, I love that. It's it's a bit yeah. of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool, Tim. So I just want to kind of give you, as we close up here, just an opportunity to, yeah, tell people maybe a little bit more about um about what you're doing and and the YouTube and kind of what your future projects are, and maybe how people can contribute or, or get involved with what you're doing, or like you say, you have plans up there, you have patreon so yeah maybe if you just let people know who don't already yeah so you can see what i'm up to on youtube um my channel is called the offcut my instagram page is the offcut underscore nz and future plans i've i've got a few i'm not sure whether or not i'll be making videos on them but i've managed to score a few jobs doing uh custom built-in furniture which is something a bit new to me. Mm. Um, I've always been about, you know, freestanding or like, uh, you know, just loose fittings, furniture or loose furniture. Um, so this would be an interesting experience for me doing uh, built-ins. So, yeah. That's cool. Oh, well, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Great. Hey, thanks, Sam. I appreciate your time, man. I like um, picking people's brain who really enjoy the creative process like yourself and and it's cool to to know your story and it's kind of like a i wouldn't say it's an every man's story but it's inspiring in that you know you 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 learned by watching other people and you decided you wanted to give it a go and and now you've you know you've developed these great skills and you can use them you know to make other people happy and yourself and it's cool it's cool to watch i i love it i mean i, I love this this industry this kind of this creative process so it's fun and, and and thanks very much for sharing your story with me and and the audience and um yeah all the best for your future mate yeah thanks 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 for having me on this was quite a cool experience you know trying something a bit different for me yeah. yeah no worries yeah thanks for doing it i appreciate it yeah for for a guy who doesn't talk on his youtube videos you've um <laughs> you've got good conversations i so. survived <laughs> yeah you did well yeah. yeah all right cheers mate thank you cool. thanks adam no worries all right thanks for listening friends if like me you enjoy conversations about the love of building and creating then please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review at wherever you get your podcasts Thanks very much to Tim for his time. Tim hopped out of his comfort zone and has been crushing it on YouTube ever since. Much respect for that. Uh, gets me pumped. Seeing people who are excited about building and creating, so more of that. Shout out to everyone out there who, like Tim, took a risk and ended up doing something cool. Shout out to people who create content like Tim on YouTube. 
Uh, it's inspiring. It's fun to be a part of. It's a lot of work as well. Uh, I can only imagine how much goes into making and editing those videos. Uh, and sometimes as like a viewer of something like that, you forget to ask, what are they doing it for? You know, like Tim says, he's not making, not making money off those videos really in any sustainable way. So I just think that's cool that people do that. Uh, so good on Tim and good on you for listening and watching and supporting. Uh, it's pretty cool to get to be the first person to reveal Tim's voice to the world. Uh, he can talk pretty well, as I said, uh, for someone who has never spoken on any of his videos, so good on him. Yeah, outro gang, outro conglomerate, people who listen to outros. Weird. You're a weird bunch of people, but you're listening, so thanks for you. Thanks to you for doing that. There's still a chance to name this creepy group of hamster breeders who listen to outros, my outro particularly. Just reflect on that. You're listening to a really long drawn out outro from the 158th ranked podcast in the philosophy section from Norway. So that's what you're choosing to spend your time on right now. I don't know what that says about you or me, uh, but I'm happy that you're here listening. Still a chance to win a hat if you name this group. So far, three people have had a go. And all three of those individuals already have a hat. So, I'm on the hunt for a head who does not don a chip-away hat currently. Who wants to come up with a fun name for people who listen to outros on this podcast. Um, yeah. Following on from this, I'm going to make a cheeky pitch. I've been thinking lately, what more can I do with this podcast? And one thing's for sure, I never want to monetize it, you know, thinking about YouTube and that kind of whole side of things from the conversation with Tim. This podcast will always be free. But if there's a way for me to gain some advertising revenue from... I don't know, shouting out a tool company or a construction clothing brand or just something like that. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. I'd love to improve the audio quality of the podcast. I'd love to have more time to spend editing and doing cool promotion and uh, doing episodes more justice when I release them. Basically, I get to talk to some really cool and interesting people and sometimes I feel like I don't give them their due, but pumping out one of these per week is quite a lot, so I'm doing my best, but I feel like I could improve it and take it to another level. 
if I had some support. So that would be cool. It would be awesome to have like a studio or something. Right now I'm sitting in my family's living room um, with Paw Patrol toys at my feet and on a crappy little desk. I wish Tim could make me a cool desk. Um, I'd love some like better sound equipment. Because if you haven't noticed, the audio for this podcast is at times bearable. Anyway, what you should do is join the 100,000 plus people who follow Tim on YouTube. Legend. He just hit that milestone not long ago. So congrats to Tim. Congrats to the offcut. That's the channel you need to be checking out. The videos are cool. Really, they are. You can go and buy a piece of furniture from Tim. You can buy one of his plans like he was talking about. So you can go ahead and make one of his pieces at home by yourself. Or you can buy a cool little object. You know, he doesn't just make furniture. He makes cool like <sighs> headphone stands and timber micro USB stick majiggies. Uh, he's got some pretty cool sleek looking stuff on there. So go check it out at www.theoffcut.co.nz. Definitely go follow him on Instagram, of course, as I said. The Offcut is where you can find Tim. So, thanks again to you, outro listener, for your time and your support. I appreciate it. You can follow me as I pretend to be a good person on Instagram at Chippaway Carpenter to keep up to date with what's happening on the podcast. And until the next one. Keep chipping away.